my horse kicked me this week, and so I've been kind of laid up all week. But, um, you know, I, I was trying to think, how can I, what's God trying to do with this kick that, he, that I got this week? And it wasn't a fun kick at all, believe me. Um, but I was thinking about, does God want to use this message this morning to kind of maybe kick you in the gut? You know, I trust that it will, but I, I, I feel like uh, I don't want this message to be confrontational, but I, I want this message to really resound in your heart because I think what I have to share today is, is somewhat tragic yet exhilarating and exciting and challenging to all of us to think about. And so I'm going to jump right in here. Last week we talked about uh, basically a behavioral Christian. And I know I've been there. It's easy for a pastor to get there. I talked about... A, a person who uh, is a closet Christian, and I, I can think of times in my life where I should have stepped up and I didn't. And then this morning we're going to talk about a compromised Christian, and we're going to talk about a cultural Christian. And I uh, bear with me as we go along here because I, I'm hoping that God will speak to you in a special way this morning, and, and that's the reason why you're here, I trust. So I'm going to jump right in. I want you to turn to the book of Exodus if you have your Bibles. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Let me give you a little background. This is the background of a compromised Christian. His name is Aaron. Many of you know that Aaron was sort of Moses' best sidekick. Aaron was a, a, the priest. Aaron was a, a, a godly man who was very supportive of Moses. And yet there was a particular time in the history of the, of the children of Israel where Moses was gone for almost six weeks up on the top of a mountain, getting the, the law really given to him by God, and because of that, there was a lot of stirring down below. People were wondering, where, where is Moses? What's going on here? And I want you to kind of follow along here as you read, as I read verses 1 and 2. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Verse 4, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol. I mean, this was unbelievable compromise. I mean, God had shown his hand so dramatically with the children of Israel, the whole Passover thing and providing manna and all these things, and yet the people of Israel went into default position and put a lot of pressure on Aaron to bring back the idolatry that they had had in Egypt. What's really tragic here is that Aaron knew what he was doing was totally wrong. And yet somehow he compromised his own value system. And as a result of that, a lot of people paid a heavy price. So the first principle I want to share with you this morning is that compromising Christians often cave into the peer pressure around them. You know, typically I've discovered that people who compromise greatly in their Christian life usually have a low self-esteem. They, they want to be a people pleaser. They want to be liked. They're often kind of driven by their emotions. And here was Aaron under this incredible pressure from the people of Israel to create the idol so that they could bring back the presence of God, so they thought, in their lives. See, Moses was sort of this symbolic reference to God's presence in their lives. And when God was sort of absentee for about six weeks, the people got restless. And oftentimes, that's the way we are when we compromise, when, when God doesn't seem to be quite as real at, at, as much as the tangible, tangibility of the moment. 
we sort of uh, sacrifice God on that altar to create our own altar of tangibility. And that's the second thing I want to share with you about a compromising Christian, and that is compromising Christians have a tendency to cling to the tangible for their idols versus the Lord. Isn't that the case? Isn't our default position to, to our sensuality? Isn't our default position to, to, to go to where the popularity and the power and the prestige and the possessions are because we want our lives to be satisfied by things that are tangible? So compromising Christians have a tendency to cling to the tangible for their idols. And that's what the people of Israel were doing. And Aaron allowed them to do it, compromising, again, his own values. You know, but the problem is here, this is the short-term gratification trumped really the discipline that Aaron was supposed to have as a leader of, the, of these, these people at this particular time. Well, in verse 7, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Now, here's an interesting element of compromise that I want to share with you. Compromising Christians have a devastating impact on the people in their realm of influence. We think sometimes when we compromise our values, when we know that we're compromising something that God has very clearly spoken to us about, we think sometimes that it only really affects me. But in reality, when we compromise, we're affecting everybody around us who we have influence. And in this case, the entire nation of Israel was being infected by Aaron's compromise. And as a result, they really paid a heavy price. Look at verses 21 to 24. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? You see, when we compromise our own values, the people that we influence, we're actually leading, perhaps baiting other people in our lives to sin. You remember what, the, what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, you blind guides, you hypocrites. There's a, there's a part of us that we don't realize that when we're compromising, we are impacting everybody around us that we have influence. Somebody's watching us. Somebody's uh, being infected or affected by our own compromises. And so Moses or Aaron replies, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You, you know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came the calf. Give me a break. But that is typical of somebody who compromises. They don't want to accept responsibility for their behavior. They want to be the victim. They want to blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. It's somebody else that's a fake. It's somebody else that's got a problem. It's not my problem. I mean, after all, these people, you know how stiff-necked they are. You know how rebellious they are, Lord. You know, I, I, I couldn't help it. And, and look what happened. I mean, out came this calf. You know, that's typical of somebody who is a compromiser. Compromising Christians, number four, are masters of shedding the blame on others and rationalizing their own behavior. Ever caught yourself in that environment in your own life where you have been tempted by certain things in your own life and you just begin to have all of these incredible rationalizations? Well, look, somebody else is doing it, you know, they can do it. Why can't I do it? Or, you know, I mean, after all, if I do do it, you know, I know God's a gracious God and someday I maybe get my act together and I'll, 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 I'll ask him to forgive me and it'll be fine. 
or, you know, it's really not my fault. You know, I mean, I grew up in this family, and this is the way things were, and as a result of that, you know, I know I have some issues, but, you know, it's really, I, I, you know, I can't take responsibility for this. That's what a compromising Christian can do. There was, there's one thing that I want to see here that's really important, though, and that is this. Those believers who have consistently compromised their beliefs will be held accountable. I mean, there were people who died because of this event, because Aaron compromised his values. He compromised whatever convictions he had. And as a result, not only was he held accountable by God, but so were the people of Israel. There is going to come a day. So if we start compromising, we say, you know, um, you know, I'll just get away with this and I'll rationalize this and I'll blame everybody else. But someday, somehow, some way, we will stand before the Lord unless we repent and really deal with these issues. We're going to have to face God someday and respond to the compromises that we've made. So let me just shift. Let me shift gears here because I want you to see that cultural Christianity and, and compromised Christianity, they're kind of like two sides of the same coin. But in reality, there is a difference. Let me try to explain that difference for a minute. A compromised Christian is a person who, where temptation is staring them in the face and they compromise. It's very direct. It's clear that values have been compromised. There's clarity oftentimes when there's compromise. That's what compromised Christians have a tendency to do. They know exactly what really God is saying, but in reality, they've just compromised what they know to be true, and it's staring them in the face, and they've allowed themselves to go to the tangible, you know, the sensual, the sexual, or whatever it might be, in order to satisfy their issues. But a, a cultural Christian, what that is much more deadly, and that's what I want to talk more about again this morning, and that is this, is that cultural Christian is a series of worldly message sent that infiltrate a person's thinking, it is slow but a deadly process. It, it, it's it's a, um, a propaganda that's out there in our culture that we, as we've been sitting there listening to, and I've heard more than 900 messages a day are being sent to us, messages of narcissism, self-preservation, it's all about success and power and possessions and all of that, we're getting bombarded by those messages. And what's happened is, is that a cultural Christian over a period of time is somebody who subtly gets indoctrinated into a worldview and inoculated to a biblical view. It happens over a period of time. And I've also discovered that one of the most dangerous places where cultural Christianity is really impacting people are those people who maybe accepted Christ when they were four, five, six, or eight, or ten years old, and they've been in the church for a long period of time, and they've kind of, kind of settled in to some kind of a rote routine, behavioral Christianity, and as a result, all of a sudden, the culture has started to invade their thinking, and they've changed radically. You see, when we were growing up, many of you were probably like me. I, I grew up in the 60s, in late 50s, 60s, and early 70s, and there was a culture revolution, remember? Back in the 60s, there was all of the protests, there was, there was free love, there was free sex, all those kinds of things. Drugs were, came onto the scene in, in an incredible way. There was protests against the war in Vietnam, and so there was a huge shift in our culture to, to, take, to react from those 40s and 50s conservative days. And as a result, that impacted the church as well. And hence, there was the Jesus movement along with that. 
But what's happened is, is, is we've had a cultural shift in our thinking in the church, is that back in those days, we recall, were more legalistic days, right? There was, those were the days of the black and whites, you know, don't dance, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with the girls that do. That, that, was, that was the kind of the old, you know, the old ways, if some of you maybe recall that. And what's happened is we've shifted now over to the other side of the spectrum and said, you know what? All that stuff was legalistic and it was hypocritical. I mean, we're living in grace now. I mean, we've got so much freedom and we've turned our liberty into license in our culture today to the extent where we're seeing, we're seeing preachers who are no longer really biblically centered using profanity in the pulpit or whatever it might be because now we've, we're living in this, this, this grace period, which I'm calling cheap grace. And consequently, it's been happening because the culture has infiltrated our thinking rather than allowing ourselves to maintain a biblical worldview. Now, let me give you an example of this in Scripture. When you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you realize that there was a church that Paul had planted that was really struggling. That's why Paul wrote this letter. And the reason why they were struggling is because they allowed their culture to infiltrate their thinking and as a result was corrupting this church dramatically and Paul needed to write a letter to straighten them out. Now let's look at Corinth for a minute because it helps us to understand a little bit about what cultural Christianity is about. If we study the, the city of Corinth, you realize that it had some very interesting values that relate to our, our, our church, or I mean our, 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 our cities today. This was a church or this was a city, I'm sorry, that was, had 600,000 inhabitants. So it was a pretty big city. It, it, was, a, it was definitely a, a progressive city. It was a trade center. It was a trade route. It was exploding materialistically. But there was a goddess over that city that everybody celebrated, and it was the goddess of Aphrodite. And we know that the goddess of Aphrodite was all about sensuality and prostitution. So sensuality and prostitution was rampant in Corinth. Then you notice that there were also corrupt business practices becoming a very litigious society. And what was going on is, is that there was, it's almost like the mafia was working there. And, and so there were these power brokers who were, who were suing each other right and left to gain financial gain, to gain power and control of each other. And a lot of it was done illegally and corruptly. Then you notice that there was all kinds of partying and drunkenness, and it was just an acceptable part of society. You know, party down. I mean, that's what life was all about. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There was a lot of restless speculation. In other words, what they were doing is that people were trying to figure out, you know, what's out there that I can try that's new and different? There were factions and divisions. I mean, total inflated vanity was all about self-gratification. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it sounds to me like the ancient Las Vegas I mean, Corinth was sin city. Now, this church was planted in the midst of this kind of culture. And frankly, it's the same kind of culture that Cornerstone lives in today. And look at how it impacted the church. Look at chapters 1 through 3. I can't go into all of 1 Corinthians, so I'm going to just give you a little bit of a chapter blow by blow. But as you study 1 Corinthians, you'll see... Almost every cultural moray represented within that church. Number one, verses what, chapters one through three, there were divisions in the church. There were factions. It was all about me. All about me. Chapter five, you see that there was tolerance of immoral behavior, sexual immorality. They were tolerating incest in the church, and they were proud of it. 
You know, there's greater tolerance today for gay marriage. There's greater tolerance for premarital sex. There's greater tolerance for all kinds of things today within the framework of the church. It's hard today anymore to do premarital counseling with a couple who are call themselves Christians that haven't slept together, lived together. I'll stop there. Chapter 6, there were lawsuits among believers. They were suing one another. They were emulating their culture. There was divorce and remarriage. It was rampant in the church. So chapter 7, Paul had to deal with all of that. There was prostitution in chapter 6. You mean there were actually people practicing prostitution in the church? Yes. And you know what our prostitution is today? Pornography. Right? 64% of men today are hooked on pornography. I discovered the other day that 34% of pastors are hooked on pornography. And we talk about the cultural having an impact and because of the social media and all the avenues that we have now to our, at our fingertips, we are struggling today because culture is bombarding our thinking and we're rationalizing and compromising and we're becoming culturally Christianized. There were idle feasts, there was drunkenness. In fact, they were getting drunk even before communion. I mean, this church was a mess. There was a misuse of gifts and there was chaotic worship. This church had a serious problem. And friends, I feel like the church today has got the same problem. How did this all happen? How did it happen in the church in Corinth and how does it happen to us? Well, number one is there is a misinterpretation of the message of grace. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21 says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Paul said, look, you guys, I know you've been liberated. I know that we're not talking about legalism here. You don't have to be circumcised. And I know you can eat meat sacrificed idols. That's fine. I mean, I understand that. I mean, that's all permissible. I realize that. But is it beneficial? Is it, really, is it really that important to you that it's causing wreaking havoc amongst non-believers and other people that are watching, seeing how fake and phony your faith really is? What impact is it having? And so what we've got now, instead of legalism, what we've got now is cheap grace on the other end of the spectrum. And so we live our lives saying, you know what? God's going to forgive me. I mean, I've heard people say that to me over the years. I've had people say, you know what? You know, I realize that I'm in a, in a bad place right now. It's okay because I know someday I'll get it together and God's going to forgive me and it's no big deal. So I just go on living my life the way it is, allowing the culture to dictate my morals and my values. So secondly, not only was it, has there been a misinterpretation of, of grace and what a powerful sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, and we just blow it off and say it's not that big a deal when in reality it was the very gift that keeps us moving and gives us the opportunity to go to heaven and yet we stick God in the back time and time again because we think, okay, God's a God of grace, you know, he's going to forgive me. Well, that's true. But we need to be careful with that. Here's secondly, a lack of respect for the scriptures. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul wrote to a young pastor, Timothy, and said, listen, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. For rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You know, what's really interesting about a cultural Christian is that they want to pick and choose what Scripture is saying. It's really fascinating. In fact, there are pastors out there that are doing the same thing, you know, saying that, you know, God wants us to be happy all the time, or He wants us to be wealthy, or He wants us to, you know, be fulfilled. And it's not about God, it's about you. 
And I look at this and I say, what a lack of respect for Scripture because Scripture speaks very clearly about certain things. And if we ignore certain passages of Scriptures that maybe talks to you about homosexuality or abortion or whatever it might be or sexual immorality down the line, if we start watering all that down, we're in big trouble. Thirdly, there's a constant bombardment of worldly thinking. I mean, let's face it, we live in a cesspool these days. Romans chapter 2, verse 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. So when I talk about a biblical worldview, it's really important for us to understand that. It's really important for us to understand it. When a survey was taken, I believe it was by Barna, there may have been other organizations that have taken these surveys, but they, they first of all want to define what a biblical worldview is. And I want to define that to you this morning because this is really important as I share with some statistics with you. First of all, uh, uh, the definition of a worldview, number one, there is absolute moral truth. I mean, we live in a culture today, right, that everything is relative. Everything is relative. There is no such thing as absolute moral truth. See, if we don't have any absolute moral truth, we don't have any real guidelines or standards. If we don't have any standards, I don't have to abide by them. And if I don't have to abide by them, I can do whatever I want to do, and I don't have to feel guilty. So that's the culture we live in. And so, but a biblical world where he says, wait a minute, time out. No, there is absolute moral truth. Secondly, the Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. That's a biblical worldview. We believe that the Bible is an inerrant word of God, and we believe that what the Bible says is historically accurate, it's, it's, it's morally accurate, it's a, it's a document that we need to live our lives by, period, end of discussion. That's a biblical worldview. Thirdly, that Satan is a real being. There is a huge element of Christians out there today who do not believe that Satan is a real being. He's not a real force to reckon with. Number four, a person cannot earn their way into heaven only by only they can uh, go to heaven by accepting Christ as their Savior, not by good works. That's a biblical worldview. Five, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, and that has all kinds of implications. If we don't believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, he wasn't the God of, the, of creation. He wasn't the, the, uh, the Savior of the world. He had, it was an imperfect sacrifice, and the list goes on and on and on. And if you deny that fact, you're really denying his lordship. If you deny his lordship, you might as well be a cult. Number five, uh, six, God is an all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world and rules the universe. Those are six basic elements to a biblical worldview. Now, based upon that, a survey was taken, and let me give you the stats in this. Number one, that only 9% of adults America-wide carry a biblical worldview. Only 9%. So if, if you carry a biblical worldview, we are definitely in the minority. You read Pastor John's book on the evangelical recession, you realize that, that we really are a minority in this against the United States at this point in time. Now, here's some really staggering statistics. Only 46% of born-again Christians believe in absolute moral truth. That means that there's 54% of born-again Christians out there who don't believe that there is absolute moral truth out there. 
Do you realize what that does in terms of our value system and the way we live our lives? Here's another statistic. 40% of born-again Christians are convinced that Satan is a real force. That means 60% believe that he's just, you know, a, a big figment of our imagination, perhaps, or that he really has no, no power, or that he has no deceptive qualities, all those kinds of things. 47% of born-again Christians that were polled accept the only way to heaven is by grace alone. That means that 53% think that there may be another way to get to heaven. These are Christians talking, born-again Christians. 62% of born-again Christians believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. Do you realize that then 38% of, quote, they call themselves born-again Christians but don't believe Jesus lived a sinless life? If that's the Jesus they believe in, they're not a believer at all. 93% of Christians believe in all an all-powerful God. That's a good sign, at least. But here's an interesting one, the Mosaic generation. We've talked a lot about, or you hear a lot about, if you uh, read uh, documents and, and, and articles, that our kids are leaving the church right and left. When they graduate from high school, they're out of here, and they don't come back to the church. Many of them don't come back. This, this statistic will get you. The Mosaic generation, 18 to 23-year-olds, only one-half of 1% 1 hold a biblical worldview. So what your kids are hearing, the messages that they're getting via social media or whatever it is, they're not getting a biblical worldview. And consequently, we have kids growing up that are in their 18 to 23-year-old stage where they're now out of the house, they're out of the, uh, the realm of Christian influence, and they're out into, quote, the world, to college or wherever. They're saying, you know what, everybody around them saying, there's no biblical worldview. The pressure that's on that generation is incredible, and it's growing by leaps and bounds. You know, it, it, it's no wonder to me why people are not coming to church. Because what they're seeing is a different kind of hypocrisy in the church today. You know, years ago, it was all about all that legalism, all that black and white stuff. You know, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. They can't live, you know, they're a bunch of Pharisees and all that. We got a new kind of hypocrisy in the church today where we're being so polluted and inoculated to the real biblical worldviews that we're representing to people out there in the world just, just like they are. And so they look at us and say, well, they talk about Christianity, but they're all a bunch of fakes. They're like the guy on the screen. It's a plastic Jesus. I had a, a text discussion with my granddaughter this week, and she's 19, dealing with just this very issue in her own life. And she said, Grandpa, everybody at church seems to be a bunch of fakes. And I said to her, I said, well, honey, there are fakes everywhere and around. I mean, you know, we're all, uh, we're all to some degree, you can, you can find fakes everywhere. And, and so we got to talking about that. But here's a girl that is 19 years old and is now struggling to say, what do I believe? I mean, I mean, we've got kids today that base their self-worth on how many likes they get on Facebook. I mean, it's, it's an incredible world that we live in right now. It's all so selfish and so introspective and so narcissistic. And we've created this mess. And we as Christians, I'm really here to say to you this morning that it's time for us again to be salt and light. But the problem is we've all been affected by our culture because we're getting bombarded with these messages every day. That's why Scripture tells us to not be conformed to this world, but it's renewing our mind. Keep our head in the game. 
And so I want to challenge us this morning here at Cornerstone that we be a church that is aware and up to speed and realize how much we've been impacted by our culture. What are, what are the areas of your life that you could really look at right now and say, you know what, 10 years ago I never would have gone to an R-rated movie, but I do now. Or, you know, I mean, it was, you know, no tea, all teetotaling back in the day, you know, nobody ever, you know, alcohol was not a thing. And, 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 and you know, it's okay if I, if I have a few drinks now and then, and, and it's not a big deal. And, and uh, I just had a pastor who lost his job because he went out drinking with his buddies three nights a week, and the church found out about it. And I'm thinking, wait, 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 what's wrong with this picture? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with alcohol, but you see, the problem is I'm seeing more and more alcohol consumption in the church today, too. And, and then you talk about prostitution, and I see the, the rise in pornography in the church, and all this stuff really disturbs me. And I'm thinking, how have I changed? How have I accepted? What am I tolerating on TV now? What am I seeing on the movie screen that I'm accepting now that I wouldn't have accepted 10 years ago because it's all a part of our culture? And everybody's out there saying that Christians are intolerant. So I want to be more tolerant. So, so I want to be careful. So I don't want to, don't want to be judgmental. Or, and no, we don't want to be. But you know what I'm saying? So this stuff is really serious. And, and what I've heard statistically, that cultural Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds in the church today. It's an accepted thing. And I feel like we have swung the pendulum all the way from legalism over to license, and it's now time to back, get back to liberty. Amen? Not license. And so I just want to be careful as I share this message. I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on you all because this is just a problem I see in the church today, and I felt really convicted to share this with you this morning. But it's no wonder the American church is losing ground. It's no wonder people are not interested in organized religion. It's no wonder kids are dropping out of our churches because they're seeing a compromised, watered-down version of Christianity that is just another form of hypocrisy, and we're portraying to the community around us that it's a plastic Jesus. So let me close. I know that all of us have been somehow impacted by the culture that we live in. And I wanted to bring this to your attention today again to remind us that God has called us to be salt and light. We need to be in the world, but not of the world, amen? And, and for some of us, it's time to, to buck up, and if this has been a little horse kick in the gut for you this morning, I, then, then praise God, that's okay. But here's, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute? Would you just contemplate what's been shared this morning in your own life? You know, perhaps you're sitting there this morning and, and God has kind of kicked you in the gut a little bit. And, and, and frankly, I don't think God wants you to leave here without really dealing with some things. We had several, several people, quite a few people first hour that just came up and said, you know, this... This really hit me right between the eyes, and, and I, there's some really significant changes that need to be made in my life. And for maybe some of you this morning, you've been that compromiser. You, you've made some decisions that have really cost you big time, and you've rationalized it. Perhaps you've blamed other people, but it's no longer time to play the victim. It's time to step up and take responsibility and say, God, yeah, I blew it. 
I made this mistake, I compromised here, and I want to repent of that, I want to turn from that, and I want to change, I want to be different because God, by your grace and your power, I don't want to ever cheapen your grace again. And if that's you this morning, I encourage you to make that decision. And what I even encourage you to do is to be courageous enough to come down here in the front and make a public statement by your feet saying, God, you've touched my head, you've worked through my heart this morning, and I want to put feet to it. I want to come forward here and make that commitment to you that I'm done compromising in this area of my life. If you've been feeling like the culture has really impacted you, and you feel like perhaps you've been been more infected or affected by it, and, and, and you want to go on this journey to kind of look and say, God, where, where have those places really changed me where I'm, I'm getting to slip here spiritually, and I'm sending the wrong message to my neighbors or to my kids or to my friends? Where, where have I allowed to be myself inoculated? And, and this morning, you just want to, by coming forward here, and by, by kneeling before God, saying, God, show me what it is. I want to know what it is in my life. I want to be careful about this. This is really important. It, I want to have integrity with my walk with God. And God, if there's any blind spots that I've been infected by the culture, then God, I want to see that. And if that's what you want to do this morning, I encourage you to do the same thing. Come on down here and, and just get before God and, and, and clear that up right now before him. Let me pray for you. God, I don't know what you're saying to folks here this morning. You do. And I know you've been working in my life in these areas, and, and I, I just know that there are folks that are sitting here this morning who really need to do some business with you. God, you sure got my attention from a horse this morning, but I pray that we would get attention from your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us loud and clear. And so as we sing these last songs, God, as we contemplate these truths, I pray, God, that you would really touch people's lives and really make a difference. I pray that they would join me here in the front as I, too, want to know those things in my own life where you've impacted me. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.